Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. I, I was just, thank you. What a great way to honor, right, the mother and father of the house. I just, um, I have so much to be grateful for to you guys um, for believing in me when I didn't, for standing next to me when I wouldn't. Um, I am here today because of the, what these guys have sowed into me. Um, I'm so thankful. You guys are so blessed um, and I am very blessed. I just want to thank you for all that you've committed, sustained, persevered, um, and sown um, into me and my wife and our family and our ministries. So thank you so very much. Um, can we pray? Hallelujah. Lord, I, uh, <laughs> you said that you want grateful hearts. Lord, we are just expressing our heart of gratitude to Steve and Melody for all that they've sown, all that they've committed, all that they've persevered through, for standing by us, for walking with us, for being unafraid and unashamed to stick with us through thick and thin. Lord, we just pour, ask for a, a hundredfold blessing to be poured out upon them, Lord, for every gift and blessing that they've sown into those, not just here in this house, but in this region, actually, and in the world that they've touched. Father, thank you so much. We just thank them and bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, boy. <laughs> Didn't think we'd start that way. Um, so, welcome. Uh, my name is Kevin Ikeda. Uh, my wife and I live in a suburb of Washington, D.C., um, and uh, we have known Steve and Melody since about 2006. Um, and we, the, they um, um, licensed us or credentialed us with uh, Christian International in 2013. Um, so, my wife and I are, are in the CI family. Um, and in fact, in 2013, a lot happened. I was reflecting back then. Um, Dr. Sharon Stone was here in this house and gave a word to us. And the word was that the, God was not interested in blessing a company. He, was, he wanted to bring forth a testimony of a transformed company. And um, I was on a reorganization committee, and we were reorganizing. And I thought, oh, here it is. And then that whole thing blew up, and none of that got implemented. I thought, Lord, what happened? You know, where's the fulfillment of the word? Um, and then in 2016, I heard uh, Dr. Ed Silvoso speak, and he spoke a word at uh, Christian International's International Gathering of Apostles and Prophets in Florida, and um, he gave a word about transformation. And transformation means basically the First Samuel 8 uh, transformation. First Samuel 8 is when the children of Israel decided, we want to... Like the world, we want a king. We want to be like the world. We want government, right? So, so transformation is when 
the restoration or transformation of the culture comes back to wanting God to be the leader, the leader of our government, of our businesses, of our schools. So that's transformation. So I have this, this mandate, right, of transformation. So I just want to bring and share a little bit about transformation with you. Um, so we've got a little bit of some technical challenges because we've, I've implemented this in... Um, <laughs> I've implemented this in, in PowerPoint, and it's showing up in um, a different, so it'll be slightly different, but let's go ahead. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, there we go, transformation of self, our world, and, and the world. So... Um, How many of you have, have struggled or felt like you've aimed low? Have you ever had an, a time when, you know, felt like maybe there's more? Um, right? So, so um, I have never been a terribly ambitious person. Uh, I never really had a lot of career plans for my life. I never really, you know, wanted to be the next level. Uh, uh, it was never really my goal. Um, I just, you know, loved going to work. I loved taking care of customers. I loved taking care of people. I just kept doing those, that kind of stuff and, and just kept getting moving up. Um, but, you know, how many know that your words are powerful, right? And that they will kill or give life and the talkative person will reap the consequences. So, so what's the deal? So, so all of that is saying that words influence our future. So here's another scripture. Right? When you speak healing words, you offer others fruit from the tree of life. Right? You, you speak life into them. Right? But another thing that can happen is we could speak negative words, and this animation kind of didn't come out well, but I actually have a boot that crushes hope. But it didn't come out quite right, but it does actually fall over. And anyway. <laughs> and, but, but the point is, is that it words... influence our souls. They influence our souls. So, um, so, so when, when Peter was passing the lame man at Gate Beautiful, right? Remember that story? And he's begging and, and asking for money. And Paul, Peter says, you know, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise. Right? And the scriptures say the man stood, he leaped, and then he praised the Lord. So he stood, evidencing his physical healing, right? He leaped, evidencing the awareness in his soul that he had been healed. And then he praised the Lord, representing his awareness in his spirit that he had been healed. So God is interested in healing us. Body, soul, and spirit, right? We tend to forget about the soul. In the Passion Translation, right, Dr. Brian Simmons on, on, in John chapter 9. So John chapter 9 is where Jesus heals the man blind by putting mud, right, on his eyes. Remember that? He says, um, in the day, um, the Jews of that day believed that uh, being blind, especially born blind, that the man sinned or someone in his, man's, in his lineage sinned. And so 
the, the response of the people was to spit at this guy, right? So can you imagine someone who's blind has a very acute sense of hearing, right? And so what does he hear every day? He hears the hoiking and the spitting of people going by. And the sound of spitting in his soul becomes the sound of rejection and shame. So Jesus, what does Jesus do? Comes up to this man. And Jesus spits, makes clay, puts it on his eyes. Says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Comes back and he's healed. What does Jesus do? Not just, Jesus is not just interested in his body being healed. But he specifically spit into the, make the clay, so that the sound of spitting now was no longer the sound of rejection and shame, but the sound of spitting was the sound of his healing. Yes, that's right. Jesus wants our souls healed. Yes. And the enemy is that the soul is the center of his place of torment, his target of torment. The soul is the center of the enemy's target for torment. Lord's been waking me up at three in the morning a lot lately, almost all year long. You know, and it's finally, you know, Lord, really? Again? <laughs> One morning, he woke me up, and I was confronted with, are the power of our words any different if we speak them or if we sing them? Any difference? Still our words, Right? We just said our words define our atmosphere. Our words affect our soul. So it doesn't matter really whether we sing them or speak them, right? Everybody agree? So here's what happened. God showed me some songs. So I got to tell you a little bit of history before I go here. So um, in high school, this is BC for me, before I became a Christian, <laughs> um, I had a rock and roll band. I had, I had a mustache. I had hair that was halfway down my back. I was the drummer in a heavy metal band, right? <laughs> Talk about transformation, right? <laughs> so, yeah, and um, we were rock and rollers. And so when I got to college, we had a band. We'd play the club circuit. Um, and uh, the, the last song every night, we would close with a song by ACDC called Highway to Hell. So the Lord shows me, reminds me of that song. It's not just a pathway to hell. It's not just a, 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 an avenue to hell. It's a highway to hell. So you understand what was going on? The Lord was revealing that I was pronouncing a curse on my destiny. One of my favorite bands was at the time was Van Halen. The first song on the first album that Van Halen produced and released to the world was called Running With The Devil. So, okay, I get it, Lord. Um, I repented for singing those words. I renounced the power of those words, and I broke the curse of those words over my life, Right? So I felt some freedom in my soul.
But then the Lord showed some other songs, and these weren't so obvious. One of them was a song by the Beach Boys, and we used to sing this song a lot. It was a ballad called In My Room. Anybody know that, the, that song, In My Room, right? It was on Endless Summer album, right? Um, and here are the lyrics, right? There's a world where I can go and tell my secrets to, in my room, in my room. In this world, I lock out all my worries and my fears in my room. I found this uh, comment that Brian Wilson made about that song, right? I had, in previous life, you know, I had the privilege of meeting Brian Wilson, and um, at the time, he was, uh, anyway, no, I won't go there. So he, this is what he said. I had a room and thought it, of it as my kingdom. So what the Lord was showing me was I was pronouncing a curse on my relationships because I had a better relationship with my room than with people or my God. Um, this was one of the favorite songs that we did in my rock and roll band. Um, you know, it was a song called Rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin, and it just declare, declares over and over, lonely, 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 lonely times, right? So, uh, and there's a bunch of others, but the Lord was showing this, this whole curse of loneliness that I had placed over my life, and the loneliness of isolation of relationships. So, you know, I started to reflect back and wonder why I struggled so in relationships? Why was it so difficult, right, to, to have and sustain relationships? Why did I not think of them as, as a priority? Yet I'm a high merchant, right, in CVI. Actually, I'm highest merchant. So it was so against my culture. Um, so the concept here is to really break those curses, and I did. The next avenue was depression. And so this is just a snippet, but there's a song, you know, I was a big foreigner fan and, and at the time, you know, um, Lou Graham. Uh, anybody remember Petra, the Christian rock band? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, John Lowry, he was the keyboardist of Petra, right? He played our, our strap-on key guitar um, in the day. And um, I just saw him uh, several weeks ago. Um, we had just connected after not seeing each other for 25 years, happened to be passing through the airport in Nashville, and he came out, um, and he uh, shared some testimonies. He's about to go back out on the road, by the way, at 69 years old. Um, but he said that he just had Lou Graham, the lead singer, a foreigner, um, in his studio, um, and that Lou Graham was a Christian. So, right, talk about transformation, right? So, hallelujah. But those words are still out there, and those words, right, I still spoke, right? So I had to repent for, um, and anyway. So lyrics here, right? So Lonely Children was, and you can see those lyrics, and Blue Morning, Blue Day. Um, the whole album, The Wall by Pink Floyd, right, is, is really all about isolation and loneliness. And then the last one was Soul Ties. And a soul tie is a cleaving of a soul from one to another. And the Bible talks about, you know, a couple of different soul ties. And one famous one is the raping of Tamar. And the guy who raped her had this soul tie that formed, right? So the, the Bible says the two shall become one flesh. And so whenever there's, right, the sex, there's, there's you know, a soul tie forms. The two become one flesh. Well, um, 
the Lord was showing me that I had sang these curses of unholy soul ties into existence, and this was the one. This is a song by Foreigner again, and this is a ballad, You're All I Am, that declares to a, a woman, you are my life. You are all I am. So I give you my heart, right? It's a soul tie. I was cursing a soul tie uh, into existence. The Lord was saying through all this that I had sung my bondage into existence. And so he wanted me to go through this process of breaking all the power of all those words that I spoke, right? Thank you that the, you know, the heart of Jesus is to restore and redeem. There were a couple of other songs, and as I started to research this more, it's like, oh, my gosh. Now I know why they call it sex, drugs, and rock and roll, because it's all about sex. Um, there are so many songs out there hidden and stuff, and, and you can see this was my little list that the Lord brought to me. Um, and, and, you know, there's tons and tons and tons out there. And I sang, you know, hundreds and hundreds of songs. And it's not the point to break the, the curse of every song. It's the point to break the pillars in, in, in that erected the structure of the, uh, the false belief systems up there. So however that applies. So here was the dialogue. So my wife, Connie, um, had, had, you know, was born and raised, not born and raised, but she grew up in Jack Hayford's church, right? The, the church on the way in California, Van Nuys, California. And there was a deliverance and healing ministry, cleansing stream that, that birthed out of that church. And so she had been involved in that ministry. So when she came, I had a built-in deliverance minister, right? <laughs> so uh, we, uh, I went through multiple cleansing stream retreats and processes of going through some healing and deliverance and dealt with all of those issues, right? Loneliness, depression, sexual soul ties, et cetera, and broke all that free. So my dialogue with the Lord goes like this. So Lord... I was healed and delivered of all that stuff years ago, right? Over 10 years ago. Why are you bringing this up now? And the Lord said, the themes through these songs built a belief system, a value set of self-reliance and independence, believing that I have to be in control and I have to be in charge. And so when I have to be in charge and in control, then that gives fear it's solid foothold. Yeah. When I have to be, because what is fear? Fear is the emotion that comes of feeling out of control. Exactly. So when I have to be in control, that is the, the platform, the doorway for fear to enter in. Right? That's fear's fundamental lie. I have to be in control. And it was a major obstacle to yielding my will completely to his. Right? Worship team today sang. I stand, right? My soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All, not part, all I am is yours. This was standing in the way. And did you, have you, anybody here seeking the Lord, really, truly, genuinely seeking the Lord, but not getting that breakthrough? I hear about all these other things and all these other experiences. People get taken up to heaven. I want to go there. Lord, take me up there, right? All these other things. There's all these levels of intimacy that all these other people are having that I'm not. And this was one of the blockages. It was all of these curses that I sang into existence, even though the power of the curses were broken, the mindset residue still remained. And so the Lord wanted to heal my soul. 
So the Lord revealed that these were the key pillars. Now, there might be some pillets or posts or, posts or you know, little things left. And, and as the Lord brings revelation, right, I'll deal with those little by little. Okay. Um, but glory to God, he broke it down, right? Brought it down like, like a Jenga tower. So that's gone. So um, I want to talk about, okay, now what do we do when we are transformed? What do we do when we are free? So let's start in Genesis. Let's start in the beginning, right? God created the Garden of Eden. God created, right, the heavens and the earth. God created man and woman, and he placed them in the garden. And before the fall, God said, he got, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That word work is avad or avadah in Hebrew. And the thing about, so and you guys, anybody know about the, the Passion Translation? Yeah. So uh, Dr. Brian Simmons says one of the things that is so beautiful about freshening the translation. So, right, the Lord came through and melted the, the wall to his study and, and, and met him. The Lord brought him up to heaven and commissioned him to, to uh, release a new translation. Um, he brought him up to the library of heaven and said, you could take two books with you back to earth. And he picked the two that the Lord led him to, and he came back to earth. And he has this anointing for translating Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And he said the, the beautiful thing about the Hebrew language is it's a homonymic language, homonyms, right? So like bank, the word he says. So bank could mean place where we deposit our money, or bank could mean the side of a river. Same word, same pronunciation, two different meanings. And in Hebrew, he said, God wants, knows both meanings and wants both meanings. Meanings. So the word for work, God placed Adam in the garden to work it. The word for work means to work, serve, and worship. Get it? For the original design of God placing people in the garden was to work and worship. So as you see, our job during the day whether that's we go to work officially for a paycheck or whether we're staying home or going shopping, our job, our function, our work is our worship. It is so important to understand that every time we step into the doorway of the place where we're going, whether that's, you know, Walmart or the food store or whether it's, you know, our place of work, our school, it's our opportunity to worship God in the way we work, right? So God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, commissioned him to be ministers of it, just like he's commissioning us today to be ministers in our workplaces. Ed Silvoso says, worship in the marketplace has to do with us both being in his presence and realizing that he is in our presence, right in the midst of our daily activities. Right there. He's, we're with him, but he's with us. And the reminder that the marketplace is really anywhere outside the church. Right? So whether that's your actual jobs, school, home, shopping, right? Okay. So in John 4, Jesus said, From here on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right place 
heart. For God is a spirit and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. It's not a matter of the right place. Worship doesn't only happen right here in this sanctuary. This is not the only place for worship to be because it's not about place. It's about heart. Who's in our heart? And we take him every time and everywhere we go. Every time we, we, we cross the threshold into that workplace, he, we're taking him with us. And you know, last time I checked, at the, reading the end of the story, he wins. He defeated sin and death. He defeated sin and death. Conquered it. Killed it. Destroyed it. Done. Kaput. We now have take him, victorious Jesus, with us into our workplaces. That's where transformation begins. Right? So the Lord did a transformation in my heart, and now I could take even a greater level of transformation into the workplace. So we got to look at turning our workplaces into a place of worship. So here is a, a beautiful scripture about worship, and it's a little convoluted. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be a sacred living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experience all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Let's see if this works. Yeah, it's working somewhat. So what this was trying to do is to show you, let's take the key words out of that passage and let's just show them in a way that builds a, like a little equation, right? So, and being an engineer, I got to think in equations, right? So surrendering ourselves and living, plus living in holiness results in our genuine expression of worship, which then releases experiencing that which delights his heart. What a beautiful, beautiful. So, so I think the next, yeah. So Dr. Brian Simmons, right, lead translator for the Passion Translation says, the significance of the Song of Songs in the Bible, or, right, the, or the Song of Solomon, is um, there are three symbolic interpretations, right? The first and most common is that it's, it's uh, 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 how Christian sexuality is to be walked out, right? So in the, in the story, right, the king is the, the man in the relationship, and, and the bride, the Shulamite, is the bride in the relationship, and so that, that's one interpretation. A second interpretation is the king in the story is God, and, and the, the bride in the story is the nation of Israel, right? But Dr. Brian Simmons says his interpretation of the symbolism in that scripture is the king is Jesus and the Shulamite is his bride, the church. So now when you read when the, the king says, you're actually hearing the words of Jesus speaking about his bride. And when you see the, the Shulamite speaking, you actually hear the church's response to what Jesus is saying about the bride. So let me show you this. This is from the Song of Songs from the Passion Translation in chapter 4. This is Jesus talking. This is the king talking to the Shulamite. 
For you, my bride, Jesus talking, and reach into my heart with one flash, with one flash of your eyes. I am undone by your love. Can you imagine Jesus is undone by your love? My beloved, my equal, my bride, you leave me breathless. The verse goes on. Remember, this is Jesus talking. Jesus is saying, I am overcome by merely a glance from your worshiping eyes, for you have stolen my heart. The importance of worship is look what it does to Jesus. It melts his heart. There's another past script verse in there that says that we actually ravish his heart, right? It's where the, 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 hills, the, not the Jesus culture song comes from. And the last thing is this. Jesus is held hostage by your love and the graces of righteousness shining upon us. Can you now see how work or home or school become even more significant because it's our opportunity to worship and look what our worship does to him. If we realize that our labor is that labor is worship, praise will permeate our cities and the presence and the power of God will flow on the streets because God dwells among the praises of his people. It's not about bringing the people into the kingdom. It's about taking the kingdom to the people. When work equals worship, when we realize that our school, our home, our work is our altar, our place of worship, then God's presence grows Monday to Friday as well as just Sunday. <clears throat> Second Peter, live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers, even though they accuse you of being evildoers, for they will see your beautiful works and have a reason to glorify God in the day he visits us. Unbelievers usually won't come to the church, so where else will they see the miraculous works of God? Yep, we need to manifest them in the marketplace. So Dr. Ed Silvoso, right, who's the, the, the father behind the Transform Our World movement, Right, and last time I was here, I talked about um, all kinds of testimonies from cities all over the world where the cities, the mayor gives their heart to the Lord and the chief of police gives their heart to the Lord. And then these the droves of blessing just fall upon the city. And the, right when, when Jesus said the spirit uh, in Luke 4, right, Jesus, remember Luke 4, Jesus is in the, the temple or the synagogue and he unrolls the scroll and he opens to Isaiah 61 and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's called me to minister to basically the blind, the poor, the captive, and the prisoner. And the revelation that the Lord gave to Ed Silvoso was those are four forms of poverty. Poor is material poverty. Blind is spiritual poverty. The prisoner is motivational poverty, and the captive is um, spiritual poverty. Did I say that? Right? So four forms of poverty. So whenever we see poverty, 
we know that it's the residue of the devil and his cronies. Whenever we see abundance, Jesus said he came to give life and life in abundance. Whenever we see abundance, and not necessarily financial prosperity, right? But right, whenever we see abundance in relationships, abundance in spiritual revelation, abundance in right, a motivation and abundance in, in, in material wealth, then we see the residue of the Holy Spirit. So detecting and discerning, right? This is what the Lord was saying to Ed Silvoso. The difference maker was the strategy for transformation is in Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus releases the 70, two by two, and he says, pronounce peace, break bread together, heal their sick, and then preach the gospel. So he says, there's three things to do before you preach the gospel. There's a relationship that you're working to develop before you preach the gospel. So Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, this is Dr. Edsilvoso writes, Paul does not introduce the principles of spiritual warfare, right? Because everybody knows in Ephesians chapter 6 is what? Yeah, the armor of God, right? right? The weapons of our, right? So Paul does not introduce the principles of spiritual warfare until he gets to chapter 6, against the devil and the forces of darkness, until he has first taught the church how to make peace in six major categories that represent division. Right? The ethnic gap, the denominational gap, ministerial, gender, age, and wealth gap. So Dr. Silvoso said the Lord told him, make peace in the city before making war in the heavenlies. Why? Why? Because by speaking peace, so the Lord gave uh, a prophetic vision. And what we saw was the, there was this plug into the wall, and the, the plug was called agitation. The wire was connected to each individual person, and that wire was bringing torment. And peace is what unplugs agitation from the person. By speaking peace over those who have cursed us. Romans 16.20 says, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. And the third piece of armor is having shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So peace is the foundation of transformation. Right? So one of the things that we do is um, we walk around the city, um, and we're starting to walk around the city and walk around our territory, and we're just releasing prayer groups, and we're just releasing peace. So um, when I first came to this revelation, right, we formed a little prayer team. Mark came to um, our company offices, and on a Saturday, we just walked through the company offices, and we just anointed the offices and door handles and doorways to offices and cubicles and just released peace, right, over the two major floors um, of, of our corporate headquarters. In, um, at church, we are releasing peace by just walking the city, right? Walking around schools, walking around police stations. We are releasing and walking through residences, walking through our mall, which is where our, you know, our church meets in a movie theater in, in a local mall. Um, 
and we release peace out. There are, you know, in the movie theater, right, the, the spiritual atmosphere is left over from the last movie that was played in that movie, that, that theater the night before, right? And, and yet God shows up every Sunday. Um, you know, peace is greater than agitation, right? Light is greater than darkness. Good is greater than evil. God is greater than the devil, and God is more powerful. When we appropriate and we release his character into our environment, it shifts, right? And he's always there. He's always consistently there. So the last thing, and I close with this, is we all do all of this for this, right? Then Jesus came close to them and said, all the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you. And never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. Our great commission as the body of Christ is to take the power and authority of Jesus into this world. To take, not to bring people into the kingdom, but take the kingdom to the world transforming the world to becoming a disciple, right? When we become cleaner, right, we manifest more love. When we manifest more love, we overflow more love. We have more love to give. And there's something, in Jesus, when he was walking the earth, there was something magnetic about him. People came to him, right? People came to him in droves. There was something, sinners especially. And there's something about, Dr. Savoso even posits that, the worse the sin, the more honor he showed them. Our, our, the thing about denominations, right, is we, we gather when we agree and we divide when we disagree. But the Lord is calling us to shift into an age of family. Amen. That we gather whether we agree or disagree. That we learn how to persist in connection despite differences. That it's not all about thinking the same. It's all about loving more. It's not about highlighting differences and it's not about volleying facts. It's about meeting needs. Jesus is the provider. My God shall provide all your needs. Not just financial. All your needs. He wants to heal our souls. He wants to remove that torment. He wants to release our mindsets. To think higher, Michelangelo said, the greater danger is not in setting our goals high and falling short. The greater danger is setting our aim low and hitting it. If our plans for our life are achievable in our mind, we're aiming too low. God wants to change the world, literally. We change the world by starting with changing ourselves, then our families, then our sphere of influence, whether that's our extended family or whether that's our workplace or whether that's our school class. And then we transform our businesses, government, and schools in our city, and that transforms our city. 
and we get enough cities transformed, that transforms our nation. In the end, it's not sheep and goat people, it's sheep and goat nations. Our job is not complete when we've got somebody saved. Our job has only just begun. We have a discipling to do from there. And look, I've been a Christian for however long. It was probably 20 years being a Christian that the Lord revealed to me these curses that I sang. There's always room to get cleaner. So seek it out. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your victory, your power, your authority to release transformation into our world. Thank you, Lord, for your heart that you didn't want us to be alone, that you will be with us always, even to the end of the age. So, Lord, I release your peace, your shalom over this house, over this region, that every place of agitation, every place of stress, every place of fear, every place of pressure, peer pressure, anxiety, worry, torment, depression, loneliness, be broken and crushed under our feet by your peace. Because we decree and declare that you are the God of peace. And Lord, I pray for a shodding of our feet with the gospel of peace. And may transformation begin today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Bless you.